You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. So glad you guys are here today. We are on week two of Jonah. We started Jonah last week, a familiar story to many, many of us, and yet at the same time, I believe a story that we will never tire or run out of things to learn from. And so uh, we are going to continue our our journey through through, through this. As you guys, uh, oops, kiddos, before I forget yet again, I think you're staying with us this morning, actually, unless Miss Joanna did, where's Ollie? He switched sides on me. Is Joanna back there? She, Joanna, are you in here? She's here. Okay. Listen, your teachers, Mr. Carlos, they go to the hospital last night, and we've been praying for him. So, you guys get to stay here, here by Jonah today with us. Is that okay? Mom, Dad, if you need to get coloring paper and crayons or something, I think we can hook you up. But we're excited that you get to be in here with us, okay? Pay attention. I might ask you some questions along the way. All right. So, pray for your teacher, Mr. Carlos, okay? I think he's going to be okay. I got to visit him last night, and I know Mr. Gary got to see him this morning as well, and his wife's here, so that means she feels good enough for him being there by himself, right? So those are good signs as well, so keep praying for Carlos as well, if you guys saw that prayer request. So, as you guys may recall, last week the word of the Lord came to Jonah from God. God was talking to Jonah, and he told him to get up. Get up, Jonah, and go to the city of Nineveh. And last week, one of the nicknames, if you will, of Nineveh is City of Blood. And we heard about how this was a country and a nation that was rampant with violence and cruelty towards all of the surrounding nations. And and yet God wanted Jonah, the first prophet that he's ever calling, to go to another nation and teach, ask them to repent. He's asking him to do that. So Jonah did get up, but then he fled to Tarshish. He did not go to Nineveh. He fled to Tarshish. Let me try saying that again. Instead, he went the other way. And his attempt in doing that was to flee from the Lord's presence. And the phrasing of this sentence, this statement that's made here in Jonah chapter 1, the original Hebrew indicates that Jonah was in a full rebellion against the Lord. And so it wasn't just like I'm getting up and fleeing from this and fleeing from God's presence. It was in a full rebellion. Like I am rejecting, I'm rejecting the temple. I'm rejecting what I have known. My dad was a prophet before me. I'm speaking for Jonah. I'm rejecting the family business. I'm rejecting the lineage of being a Hebrew, of being an Israelite. I'm rejecting being a prophet and I'm running. And we looked at the root issue of Jonah's disobedience in here last week, that he had a busted motivator. His motivator was busted, which is also every human being that's born issue. We are all born with that busted motivator. Our our default is towards sin, towards disobedience from God, running from Him, us thinking we know best, wanting to be Lord of our lives. That is our default. And that happened because of the first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And you can see that in Genesis chapter 3. Jonah, even a further root issue of that, and the reason why we default to that, why Jonah defaults to that, is that he did not trust God. He did not trust that God was truly who he said he was, that he was good, that God had a better plan than Jonah did, that God knew better than Jonah did, that God knows better than we do. Right? So when we sin, in essence, we are saying, God, you're less smart than me. I'm smarter than you, and I know better. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't stop and think that when I'm tempted to sin before I choose to go forward with the sin or not. In fact, most of us would hesitate to even say that out loud, right? 
God, I'm smarter than you. You're the dummy here. And I'm going to do this. It just feels all sorts of wrong, doesn't it? But truth be told, that's what our actions are communicating. Even if those words are never uttered from our mouths. So Jonah did not trust God, so he fled. Trying to flee from God's presence. Jonah did not trust God, so he had bad theology. Thinking that God would also not be in Tarshish. Or not be on the ship on the way there. and Everywhere at all times. And when we do not trust God, we too will run from obeying Him. We too will have the theology and think that we can get away with things. Trusting God is that key issue, is that core part that we need more of in our lives to fix that busted motivator that we have. And God made a way for us, didn't He? He made a way for us, as we just sang about, through the initiated grace of Christ Jesus on the cross and His life for us. So we're going to look at the next couple of verses in Jonah. If you are able, willing, would you stand with me while we read these couple of verses together? We're in Jonah chapter 1. We're reading the second part of verse 3 and verse 4 here. It should be on the screen there. I'm reading out the Christian Standard. Bible. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. So Jonah, you may be seated. Thank you. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. Supposedly from the presence of God, which is impossible, as we looked at some scripture last week, specifically Psalms 139, where God talks about him being everywhere, even if we were to go down to the depths of hell, that God can still lead us there. Jonah did an about face, turning from God to sin and rebellion. Now, I never served in the military, but my understanding of an about face is you are going this way. And then you have a very controlled, precise movement to turn and go the other way. Alright? Jonah did an about face from following God and obeying Him to turning his back on Him and turning towards rebellion and sin. He went down to Joppa instead of up to Nineveh. You see, Jonah's starting place was a little bit above Joppa. And he went down to it, as you can see on the map. As opposed to up to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was approximately about 550 miles from where he was beginning. Instead he went down to Joppa. And then he went down into a ship. Paid the fare. And a ship that was sailing down to Tarshish. Now scripture is saying down. Obviously they did not have the world map like we have today. But in their minds and their hearts it was down to Tarshish. It was as far to the other side of the world that they were comfortable with and aware of at that time that they could sell to, okay? There may have been some crazy guys that went a little bit further, but as far as paying a fare and going somewhere, that was about as far away as you could pay a fare and go to. I mean, that might be us, like I said, hey, I'm going to the North Pole, you know? Something just extremely far away. 2,500 miles the other way. Now, in today's economy, with travel and the technology that we have, that's not an undoable distance. 2,500 miles then could take months and months to get there. And Jonah was willing to do that. Each decision and each step that Jonah took was further down and away from God's will and plan for his life. Further down down, down the path of sin, further from intimacy with God. See, it's important for us to examine this issue in Jonah's rebellion and his sin towards God because we also have the same issue, right? And so if we can look at it from Jonah's perspective and, and maybe some of the whys, we can also look at it in our own lives and see how this applies to us today. 
even though this took place in the 700s or so, 750s BC. The reason why I think we need to do this is two reasons. One is, is we don't give sin enough credit or we give it too much credit. We either don't give sin enough attention and time that we should or we just kind of blow it off like it's no big deal because God's grace is sufficient for me, right? And yes, it is. But that's also bad theology to just think like we can just blow it off and it not be a big deal. So what do I mean by this? That's a great question. Thanks for asking me that. First off, before we answer that question, let's clarify what sin is, okay? I just, I can't assume in today's age that everybody in here understands what sin is when I bring it up. In fact, I even learned some things about sin myself in studying for this and looking at this and I'm not going to claim to be a scholar of any sorts, but I have been a believer most of my life, and so I feel like it would be good for all of us to look at this. So, first off, sin is any choice, action, word, or lingering by someone who is not saved. And what I mean by lingering is, is it's a dwelling on, a fantasizing over, etc. So if you are not a believer... It is impossible for you to not sin. It's impossible. We are born with busted motivators. And if we do not believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that He, and only He, can grant us the grace and the repentance that we need, it is impossible for us to not sin. You're like, well, Matt, there's atheists that do really good things. They're pretty philanthropic. Is that how you say that? Philanthropic? They're, they're pretty generous. Yeah, they can do good things. What is it, Kathy? Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Thank you. Philanthropic. I need to have her like, hey, I need to have a signal with Kathy. Like, how do I say this? They give some money. They do some good things. And, and whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or you're a Buddhist or you're whatever... Scripture clearly tells us that we cannot avoid sinning in anything we do unless we are a believer. For those justified, for those who are saved, justified means you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is any choice, action, word, or lingering, that word again, when our motive is not to glorify God. Ooh. I don't know about you, but as I was studying this and, and researching this and looking at scriptures, backing off, backing up these definitions, that kind of took the wind out of my sail. Now, we've got to be careful not to give sin too much credit here, all right? And we'll go over that in a minute, so keep hanging in here with me. Let me clarify really quick what glorifying God means. And that means that He is our greatest treasure. Alright? He is our greatest treasure. Our heart motive should be to do everything for Him and in honor of Him. Everything for Him and in honor of Him. Okay? So, what sin is for saved versus if for not. How we don't sin. Doing everything for God's glory. When we are tempted... That is not sin. Temptation is not sin, but we do need deliverance from it. Okay? So we can be tempted and not yet commit the sin. It's that lingering. It's that dwelling on. It's that fantasizing over. And then that choice becomes action. Right? And then that action, that sin, leads to death. As it says in James 1, 13 through 15. And if we do not have faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it is impossible to please Him. It is impossible to glorify Him. And that's clearly stated in Hebrews eleven six. Okay, so back to giving sin too much credit or not enough credit. First, 
when we don't give our sin enough credit. Okay, this is where we are in error. When we don't give sin enough credit, we are forgetting about the holiness of God. A God that is holy and righteous and pure, who cannot be in relationship with or have sin in His presence. And when we do that, we are again placing that value on ourselves instead of Him. And putting our place on that throne, putting us in that throne instead of keeping Him there in our own lives. That's, that's a hell insurance policy. And that approach is eternally deadly. I think there will be many people who think that they are saved and they will get to heaven. And as Christ says, I never knew you. I never knew you. But that we would ask ourselves this question, do I have a grasp of what it is about me that requires the death of the Son of God for me to be saved? That white lie, that fudge on the tax return, that unrepentant deed that we committed, that lack of forgiveness, that dare I say it, state of worry where we are not trusting Him fully, that sin caused for the Son of God, that was the cause for the Son of God to have to go to the cross on our behalf so that we could have a relationship with God. Do we give our sin enough credit? Guys, the greater awareness we have of our sin, the greater admiration and worship we can have of God and His grace through Jesus Christ. This is not about so we can go into the throes of depression and wallow around and woe is me and cut ourselves. That's No, that's ridiculous. It's not biblical. It's not godly. It's not that way. But to give it the credit that it's due, it's a big deal. God sent Jesus to earth to die for that, to take on the wrath that we needed and deserved. And then, on the flip side, when we give sin too much credit, we think that our sin is not forgivable. Or that Christ won't forgive it. And in that place, in that mindset, we think that our sin is more powerful than God's grace. We're diminishing God in His grace for us. His grace that is more sufficient for us in our weakness, as it says in 2 Corinthians 12.9. And sufficient there means possessed of unfailing strength. So let me, let me paraphrase that verse again for you. God's grace possesses us of unfailing strength in our weakness. Don't you love that? God's grace possesses us of unfailing strength in our weakness. We, the created, <laughs> when we think that our sin can't be forgiven, we say that God, the Creator, cannot or will not forgive our sin. Who are we to think that we can say that God's going to do something or not? This is how we know His nature and understand Him, what's in here. Who are we to say that He will or won't? You say, well, Matt, I've, I've denied Christ before men. So did Peter. Read that account in the New Testament and the mercy that Christ shows him sitting down at breakfast with him the next day and three times equal to the three times he denied him and say, do you love me? Follow me. Will you feed my sheep? Follow me. And God's saying, I forgive you three times in essence. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 
That grace is Jesus Christ, God in flesh. So when Jonah rejected God in sin and went down to Joppa, down into the ship, down to Tarshish, yeah, he sinned. Say, okay, well, Matt, what's the big deal about sinning? I'm still, okay, you've given me some definitions and things like that. Why is sinning wrong? Well, as we've looked at, it does devalue the holiness and glory of God, the creator of the universe. And that reason in and of itself is enough. But there's additional reasons as well. It separates us from God, as it says in Isaiah 59.2, which was not his original intent and design and plan. He created us to be in communion with us. He created Adam and Eve and walked with them in the garden. With them. Side by side, a, a tangible presence. And we don't know what form God took, but there was, there was definitely a tangible presence of God walking with them in the garden. Our sin separates us from Him. Without Him, there is no life. John 14, 6 and Romans 5, 18 tell us that. And, and listen, when we sin, our paycheck that we get is death. So, I don't know about you, but I don't want to work for death. Right? We don't get up on Monday morning and go to work so we can get paid death. Well, when we sin, that's the paycheck we're getting. That's the paycheck we're, we're working for, is death. And we're not just talking about death here on earth, in this tent frail of a body. That God can do amazing and miraculous things with and through. But we're talking about for all eternity. We're talking about all eternity here. One pastor summarized it this way. To reject God's purpose when we sin is to reject our best purpose. You see, our best purpose that he created us to be is to walk in holy Righteous, intimate relationship with Him. And when we sin, we are rejecting the purpose that He created us for. Now, some of you guys might try to take a tool and use it for something that it was not intended to be used for. Yeah, I see that over there. Right? Some of us do that. We don't have the right tool, so we're trying to jerry-rig something, or redneck engineer it, or whatever term you throw on it, and the wives are rolling their eyes right now. They all have stories and doctor's bills proving that their husbands have done this. Ladies, maybe, maybe you're not innocent in this as either. I don't want to leave you out. I don't know. But I'm obviously more familiar with doing that myself with the tools. But see, God designed and created us for one thing. To be in perfect, intimate relationship with Him. And when we sin, it's like us trying to take a flathead screwdriver and use it like a hammer. It just doesn't work out so well. It gets real messy. And I know some of you guys are going to grab me after and like, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> Fine. Let's set up a board and a nail and I'll get my framing hammer out and you get your flathead screwdriver out and we'll see who gets it done first and best. Okay. You see, our best purpose is to be in an intimate relationship with Him. So, let's summarize this section really quick. It devalues... When sin is wrong, it devalues, it takes away the glory and honor to the only one that is worthy of receiving it. And we get ticked, don't we? When we do something and somebody else steals the credit for it, it kind of rubs us raw. Yeah. You know why we do? Because we're made in God's image. He wants that glory for himself of what he's done. And, and, and we're feeling a small taste of that when we sin and we're stealing that glory from him. It separates us from God. Our paycheck when we sin is death, not just on earth, but also for all eternity. And it is against our best purpose. And guys, when sin comes discipline, 
With sin comes discipline. There are consequences for our choices. We reap what we sow. Hebrews 12, 6, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves. Praise God. Praise God. A perfect, loving parent is going to discipline their children in a manner so that their children will learn to do what's right for their best. Not the moment, parents, that we can sometimes have where it's an emotional reaction and our pride was hurt because we were embarrassed in front of somebody else and our kids were doing who knows what. You know, it's not one of those moments. It's not an inconvenience to us. It's when we truly are in a moment of sanity, relying on the grace of God to help us parent, and we say, you have made these choices that are wrong. And because I love you, because I believe what is best for you is this, I want you to learn here. And not because I don't, it's not because I hate you. It's a lot easier not to discipline your kids to a certain point. It takes work to parent them well. Because that is God. God is that loving Father, the perfect Father, the perfect parent, who disciplines us perfectly for our best. He has all of eternity in mind and in perspective as He does this. We see that He did this to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 11.30, when they were taking advantage of the Lord's Supper and Communion. And he disciplined them. We see it in Acts 5. When God disciplined Ananias and Sapphira when they were fudging and deception on how much they were going to give of the property they sold. There was no determined amount they had to give. They just said, hey, we want to look really good and cool in front of everybody else. So we're giving all of it. But really, they kept back some. God is also concerned with the sin of all believers, or and unbelievers, all he created, as we see in Jonah, who's concerned with the sin of the Ninevites. And we see throughout the Old Testament how God punished other nations because of their sin. The evil throughout the land when he sent the flood. I like this quote from Tim Keller. He says this, The Bible does not say that every difficulty is a result of sin. But it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. And because of Jonah's sin, in verse 4, the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. That word threw there is like hurling a weapon. It's the same word there used for hurling a weapon, like a spear. So, the girl, so God hurled the wind like a weapon onto the sea because of Jonah's sin. See, sin has serious, deadly consequences. This wind that God hurled onto the sea affected the sailors on the ship with Jonah, not just Jonah. I imagine that there were probably other ships on the sea at the same time. Now God could have set the little black line cloud like in the cartoons that follows when you peer around. He could have done that and it had only been right there, absolutely. But... I got to imagine that there's likelihood of other ships being affected. Maybe even towns along the coast that were affected and felt this storm. Because of Jonah's sin. As we go down, down, and further down into the depths of our sin... Anything that does not give glory, give God the glory, is that sin that we then should expect discipline from God. And again, He loves us, so He's going to. If He did not discipline us, what would that mean? What would that mean? A response to this should be exactly what Jonah was sent to do. 
to Nineveh at the beginning. God told them to get up and go to Nineveh and tell them to repent. The same message that Jesus preached during his time here on earth, the same message that John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ, preached over and over and over, the same message that we as believers should be sharing with others as we are commanded to do the Great Commission. And when we don't, we're sinning. That we should repent. We should have the same attitude as the psalmist in Psalms 119.71. It says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes, so that I could learn your law, so that I could learn to obey you. Sin, are we, are we blowing it off like it's no big deal? Are we, are we giving it more power than God? And when we do, we should, re- we should repent. And I, and I want to walk through repentance for just a minute here because we can say we're sorry and not change, can't we? Any kiddos in here? Kiddos, where are you? Have I lost you? Okay, all the kiddos, look at me really good. Kurt's here. Okay, good. Is Kurt in all class? Okay. Have you ever had a friend or a brother or sister tell you you're sorry and they didn't change? They went and did the, next, the same thing again to you. Every day. Every day. Anybody on this road? Has that ever happened? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Anybody back here? Yes. 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 Okay. Just making sure y'all are still with me. Yeah, it's happened to all of us, right? Whether you're a young person or an adult, we've had people apologize to us, tell us they're sorry, and there was no change. Is that repentance? No. That's lying. That's what it is. It's a lie. Telling you I'm sorry, I'm unwilling to change or to treat you any different or better than what I have so that I don't continue to hurt you is lying. Just call it what it is. To repent. Well, the Greek word, I'm not going to try to pronounce this one. It's a it's it's a word. But what it means, the Greek word, it means this. There's, first, there's one part of it that means movement or change. Okay? There's one part of the Greek word that means movement or change. The second part of the word means it refers to our mind, our thoughts, our perceptions, our dispositions, as well as change. So to repent means there is an, a movement or change in our minds, thoughts, perceptions, dispositions dispositions from the direction we were headed, right, to a new direction. It's an about face from the sin we were committing, a repentance, about face from that and back to God in thought, word, deed, action. So what does true repentance really look like? It's a complete change. And it doesn't mean a perfect track record thereafter. But there is the evidence and fruit of it. We have two classic examples. The unrepentant King Saul, and you can read that later on your own time. But if you look through the times that King Saul was confronted about his sin and his response, he was, he was silent. He was resistant. He was reluctant. He was dismissive. And you look at King David who, you know, when you look at Saul, it's like, well, he just didn't kill everybody he was supposed to. He, he burned some sacrifices that he shouldn't have done. He didn't wait for Samuel. You know, he did some things like that that we might look like, like, yeah, those aren't really huge deals, are they? And then you look at King David and it's like, whoa, cheated on his other spouses. I don't know how many he had at this point, right? Lusted, committed adultery. Yeah, murdered. Like premeditated murder. And 
and yet God still called him a man after his own heart because when he repented there was a change there was an about face from his sin and we see how David responded through the pain of his sin and how it affected others he owned it he confessed it and he changed and so as we recognize our sins, we give it the proper credit it's due. And we come to a place of repentance. That we own it. That we need to make an about face and, and say, well, Matt, I, I am sorry I do those things, but I just can't help from continuing to do them. It's, it's like they own me. And we're not big on formulas around here. But these are some tips I want to leave you with, okay? And I want you to know that this isn't the matter formula that's going to work every time for you. I want to give you some principles to use along the way. These principles, I'm just going to categorize it out in three, three words. Humility, pursuit, and forge. Okay? Humility... Pursuit and forge. Humility first. That we're humble about it. The pain and the ownership and the confession that David walked through. That we would do that. David, who penned Psalm 51. An incredible psalm. A man who is aching over the heinousness of his sin that he committed recognizing and realizing the sacrifice to pay for it. But in verse 17, specifically saying it's in a broken and contrite heart. A broken and humble heart. It's a godly grief or remorse for it. It's not shame and condemnation. Okay? Keep the two separate. If you are a believer in Christ, you are no longer condemned. No more. But should we still experience and have appropriate responses to our sin that is, has grief and has remorse? Absolutely we should. It's wrong. When somebody does something wrong to you and they're just like, eh, sorry. And there's nothing. You're like, man, it hurt. Man, it hurt. Do you not even care a little bit? And don't you think we should have that same response in our sin, right? The payment that it requires is, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, going to the cross on our behalf. That's humility. Pursuit of God. Pursuit of God. This is through prayer and study and fasting. And you can look throughout Scripture over and over and over and this is what an appropriate response to sin is. Prayer and study and fasting. David did it himself as well. God's discipline to David, by the way, do you remember, was the death of his son. A deadly consequence to his sin. The rest of his kids were pretty jacked up. <laughs> If you read on in that account, there were consequences that went on down into the generations. But he prayed, he studied, he fasted. Here's a scripture we can pray. If you need a place to get started, Psalm 119.34. Help me understand your instruction, Lord. Help me understand it. And I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. That our eyes would be open to His incomparable glory. And like we talked about last week, it's going to take way more than 0.01% of our week in time in this. 0.01% if you missed us. The time we spend together on Sunday morning, together worshiping God. Hearing from his words, singing together, fellowshipping. 
And if we are not engaging with him in any other part of the week, we are literally only giving him 0.01% of our week. Guys, fasting, we haven't talked about that, or I haven't talked about that with you up to this point. This is an act of humility and sacrifice before the Lord. It's a, I'm giving something up so that I can focus and rely more on you. Fasting can be whatever God leads you. Some people are beginning to celebrate Lent, where they're giving something up right now in order to more focus and rely on God. I'd encourage you to do that and consider that. Myself included in that. So there's humility, the pursuit of God, and then forging a new trail to holiness and righteousness instead of the trail that goes down and down and then further down into our sin. And let me illustrate it this way. Y'all are familiar with cow fields around here, right? Okay. I'm becoming more familiar with them as we've lived here longer. I played on some through cow patties at my friend when I was a kid. So I've had some experience on cow fields. But there seems to be that if a field has been there for any amount of time and repeatedly used, there are trails that are forged, right? These trails through the fields and Cows finding their way to water sources or where the haze dropped off in the winter when grass is low or, or different place their favorite shady spot, whatever, right? They forge these trails that they think is the best way there. And the cows may be sold and gone and eaten and digested and the trails could be there for quite some time after that, right? What paths and trails have we forged in our own hearts and minds when we are tempted that we continue to frequently go down to those places where we commit the sin? If you study this, if you look back at it, you can see a pattern. There is a trail there that we have forged in our hearts and minds in those sins that we tend to keep Falling into, getting into, choosing. God, I got this. You're, you're not the smart one. Some examples. Getting on the internet when no one else is around. You're in a dating relationship going to your boyfriend or girlfriend's house alone. And God desires purity in our relationships with Him. For His glory and our best, not to withhold, not to withhold the gift of intimacy, physical intimacy, that He has given to a husband and a wife to experience. What about what we say or choose to listen to others say. We know. We know when it's coming up. Like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you, did you hear about such-and-such? And And we start to go down that trail. Or the person we're talking to does and we don't deflect it or we don't choose to change the conversation. When we fail to ask that grocery grocery clerk if they're okay, when they're very clearly having a bad day, the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them in that moment. Amen. Just, are you okay? What about when we fail to pray and how we should best steward God's time that He gives us, our talents, our gifts to serve others with, or our treasure? Or is it like, hey, I got a free an hour, I got an hour of free time coming up. I'm just gonna Hey, I got a bonus my paycheck this week. I'm just gonna. See, unlike what Jonah did in this situation, we must begin to forge a new path and create a fork in that path that constantly leads down to that place of sin and instead towards obedience. So quickly finishing up here, I know the food is calling. 
Guys, we, we have got to pray. And I want to I offer these scriptures, okay? I'll talk through them. You jot them down, okay? Follow up with them later. These are great scriptures to memorize. Okay, these are great scriptures to memorize, to bring to mind, to pray them in these moments when we are being tempted. This is how we battle the temptation. This is how we keep this temptation from becoming a sin. This is how we create the fork in the trail. This is how we do an about face towards rebellion and sin. And instead turn, turn towards God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 Pray this. Pray, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me believe that no temptation will come upon me except that which is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with that temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you will be able to bear it. Because of him who is inside you. Not because you have Superman willpower or Supergirl willpower. Memorize and pray Matthew 5 8. When you are tempted to lust, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is 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 that sin worth not seeing God for all eternity? Or even disrupting fellowship with Him in the moment? Memorize and pray this verse in 1 Thessalonians. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality and that each of you knows how to control his own body or hers in holiness and honor. What about Psalm 141? Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. <laughs> Keep a watch at the door of my lips. The visual on that is profound, is it not? Set up a guard. Keep a watch. Put centuries here. Like, shoot my tongue off if I'm going to go there. <laughs> Uh, pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will come on you and through that power you will be able to be a witness of His to that grocery clerk, to your postal person, to your neighbor, to the ends of the earth. Pray for the faith and strength to give cheerfully and sacrificially of our time, our talents, our treasures. See, Jonah did not fail because of his knowledge or understanding of what he was supposed to do. He knew. <laughs> he knew. He failed in following through with what he knew that God called him to, which is the same for us. Learning is the easy part. It's the doing it that's hard in those moments. And guys, we have a significant advantage over Jonah. We have the Bible on our phones, in our hands, on our nightstands. What will it take for us to shake loose from going down that same path over and over? Let us take heed of Jonah's mistake. That we would repent of our sin, change of an about face. That we would humble ourselves and give sin its proper credit and due. And have holy grief and remorse for it when we commit it. And that we would pursue God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength, with everything we've got. That we would give Him more attention and time than 0.01% or 0.05 or 10 or, dare I say, can we get to where the majority of the percentage of our week? is for him and with him instead of the minority. I would like to pray Psalms 19 verses 12 through 14 together over you, over me here as we close. And then I will pray for the meal. Um, if we would let those who have more time on this earth go before the rest of us. That would be gracious and honoring those who have young kids or uh, disabilities. Please, you also make sure you're at the front of the line as well. But I would like to pray for the meal and then...
I'm going to stick around in here for a little bit. Okay? If you want to just pray with someone, or have someone pray with you, I'm going to stick around for a little bit. Gary, I'm calling you on the spot. Would you be available? Kurt, would you be available? Um, the three of us will be around. If there's a lady or two in the room that would be willing to stick around and pray, Kayleen as well, Renee, pray with folks if you want and need. We're going to be here, okay, for a little bit. Uh, the flu will still be there. But if you just need or want somebody to pray with you or for you, um, we want to make that available to you, okay? Would you pray this with me? Father God, who perceives our unintentional sins? Father, cleanse us from our hidden faults. Moreover, Lord, please keep your servants from willful sins and do not let them rule us. And Father, by your grace, by your mercy, through the death of your Son on the cross, we can then be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion when we think that we are smarter than you. Lord, forgive us when we do. And so Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, Lord, my rock, who we can count on, who we can stand on, who is our source and our strength and our redeemer. Lord, let our time of breaking bread together and eating and fellowship be glorifying to you. Let our conversations continue in this way, Lord. Let us not be neglectful of how we can encourage each other, inspire each other on to love and good deeds. I thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for your provision of the food that goes with you.